Hi again, people of marketing. Yes, you guessed it. This right here is a little ad. I'm not sure how much you know about Planable, but we're a collaboration tool for social media teams, helping marketers around the world create, plan, review, approve, and schedule social media posts. The best part is that you can try Planable for free. No strings attached. And if it strikes your fancy, we got a special offer just for you. Yes, I'm talking to you, dear listener who hasn't skipped past the ad. Go to planable.io slash listeners and use the discount code when upgrading to get 30% of the first three months. That is planable.io slash listeners. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, this is Ksenia Montan and welcome to another episode of People of Marketing Podcast. I'm the founder and CEO of Planable, the collaboration tool for social teams, and I launched this podcast to take a sneak peek into the lives of top marketers. Every week, we explore the story of their careers, the choices, mistakes, wins, and imperfections of their work life. Today, we're going to take a sneak peek into the life of Alison Tyrell, Global Head of Content, Brand Marketing and Media at Spark Foundry. Alison helps clients identify their brand narratives and connect with their audience through marketing. Alison's experience spans both brand and agency side in Ireland, Australia, and the United Kingdom. She has worked for and with brand titans such as Mondelez International, Sony PlayStation, UBS and Marriott Plus, boutique fashion, food, and music brands. When she isn't creating award-winning campaigns for her clients, you can find her hiking and trail running mountains. She also likes to geek out on topics of wellness, music, or podcasts. How convenient for us. <laughs> Alison, thank you so much for joining me today on People of Marketing Podcast, and I hope you'll enjoy this one too. <laughs> Thanks so much for inviting me. It's very exciting. Yes. So I would really, really love to start this conversation by diving deep into your career and starting with the beginning. Um, let's try and connect the dots a little bit. I'm curious if you remember what was your first interaction with marketing, maybe when you were you know, younger or when you were uh, you know, a teenager, potentially. What got you into marketing in the first place? Yeah, it's an interesting one for me because it was very unconventional. Basically, mm. about 15 years ago, uh, when I was a teenager, I, um, I had gotten a few tattoos um, and based on the, the perception that I'd found in the world as to what it was like for women having body art, even though it was just a self-expression, I wanted to write about it, so I'd created a blog. Now, the blog was very much uh, centered around the history, um, the art of tattoo, the high-end nature of it at the time. So there was Chanel, Rodart, uh, Louis Vuitton all had tattooed uh, uh, models on their runway, and also interviewing the people behind the industry. So I'd created this blog that um, I was getting friends of mine who were professional photographers to take professional photos. I was doing interviews with relatively um, well-known artists and it became quite naturally uh, popular. Um, so based on that, it was pure passion. Um, I wasn't making any money off it. Um, I had had a few companies approach me to say, hey, look, 
we heard about this through a friend or we heard about blah, 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 or I think you know someone I know, would you mind helping us with our digital presence? And this was kind of around the day where, you know, SEO, it's still very much the situation now. SEO is so important. Um, Understanding how to create a brand narrative and how to connect that with an audience and understand where that audience is. So I naturally fell into marketing based on a problem I was trying to solve through marketing. Um, Mm. And then from freelancing for a few years, I ended up working with the likes of Mondelez International Energy Australia and then Spark Foundry um, because I built up that portfolio behind me. Right. Uh, Walk us a little bit through your career. Like, how did you get started with PlayStation, uh, Mondelez? Uh, I know you worked on both sides of the industry, both agency and the brand side. Was it more brand in the beginning than you switched to the agency side or how did it all happen? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It was brand side initially. Um, So with the likes of Mondelez, I was working in the corporate affairs department. So for corporate affairs, you're kind of nicknamed the fun police um, because it's your job to join the marketing meetings, but to identify what isn't particularly on brand and what could be risky. So you're the one kind of shutting down the fun people. But also it, it taught me a lot around brand risk. Um, and I'd already had quite a lot of experience with uh, brand communications and production from freelancing. So I was looking after content on their website, social media, um, and internal as well. Uh, so doing a lot of internal comms. And then off the back of that, it it kind of went more into digital strategy uh, proposition. And uh, for Energy Australia, I was, we kind of acted like an agency within a company. So we would receive formal briefs from the company, from colleagues, basically saying, you know, Alison, we've got this challenge. We've got this amount of money. How would you propose that we resolve it? So I would work with agencies um, to create that strategy within budget and then manage it end to end, which kind of gave me a good entry point into agency then. Um, But I guess what I what I figured was when I was working brand side, you have a really good understanding of your company. You live and breathe your brand. Nobody knows your brand better than you do. And I miss that to to a big extent. But what you never truly understand is the the weeds of a campaign because you trust your third parties you trust your Mm -hmm. agency you trust their data so what I was now stepping into was really understanding all the things that I never really knew you know so I think what I've got now the balance that I've got now is that uh if an agency talks to me about things I know exactly what they're talking about as opposed to just blindly trusting them um, but yeah, I've learned a hell of a lot more about the detail agency side than uh, I ever was able to brand side. Right. Tell us a little bit about Spark Foundry and also about your role in the company. Sure. So Spark Foundry is one of the brands within Publicis Media. Um, so we sit in, a, in an office, well, pre-pandemic, yeah. with a lot of our sister brother agencies such as Starcom, Zenith, uh, Digitas just basically an office full of really, really intelligent people who do amazing work. And what we do for clients, um, we sit in a content team within Spark, but we're not only available for Spark clients. So a lot of our international clients are able to use what we call the power of one model, which is you take what you need, the best of the best from every single brother, sister agency within the company. So quite often, Um, Although I'm the global head of content for Spark, 
I will be working on projects with Digital Starcom Zenith based mm-hmm. on what their client needs are. So what we do, like what a day-to-day would be and what people would call on us for is truly everything. And I know that that sounds a bit uh, <laughs> egotistical, but it could be it could be strategy as in you know we want to be known for this how do we how do we do that um to media buying and planning so what channels should they be on where are their audience what what are their audience doing from a day or minute by minute basis we can get that granular um creating display assets creating adverts for them um managing that production it could be creating partnerships for them um you know anything across tv print display social live events we we run live events for clients all over the world um and then optimizing you know that sits within my team as well so we don't just set it and forget it and we set up a campaign for a client and we analyze it constantly as to how we can optimize it not just from a media perspective but from a creative perspective so you know our people more likely to click the red button versus the green button or do we need to move CTA buttons to a more manageable space for your thumb to reach for example mm-hmm. to uh, UX you know um, analyzing the website or the content page and going mm, well we're seeing people drop off at this portion how can we encourage them further down the funnel so we do right. all of that as well that is that's very very interesting i'm curious you know if in your position as the global head of content brand marketing and media if you get to do as much execution as you were before you know managing um as you're managing a team do you still get to do all the things that you enjoyed doing you know in the early stages or in the midst of your career very much so we're um we like to think of ourselves at Spark as being scrappy. And so we are a lean team um, and we're not a a huge team. So even if I wanted to sit on a throne (laughs) and (laughs) and distance myself from it, unfortunately that's not the case. So I'm there with my team, you know, I'm, I'm in amongst Mm -hmm. it. I'm, I'm across every single element, just the same as they are. And that's kind of the way I'd want it to be as well, to be honest. That's, that's very cool. Um, I know that, you know, sometimes when you go into a leadership position, you miss a lot of the things that you were actually, a lot of the things that incentivized you into getting in and the industry, you know, a lot of the reasons why you started that specific profession in the first place. Uh, so I'm happy for you that, you know, you still get to do those things. Absolutely. Um, it keeps you inspired, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, I want to go back to the early start of your career. And I want to ask you, um, role models are extremely important in, when you're growing up into, into a career. Uh, and especially, you know, in marketing, uh, considering the fact that you also need to choose what piece of the marketing mix you're going to focus on. Because uh, there's so many things out there. Um, and I'm curious if you were admiring anyone in marketing in the early start of your career or if you had any role models when you were just starting out. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and funnily enough, uh, at the start of my career, even then, I was noticing a lot of jargon in the industry. So mm. whilst I was interested in some videos, I wasn't as inspired by them as I was by listening to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking. So when I, well, back then it wasn't podcast, but when I was listening to or you know, watching YouTube videos or yeah. reading a lot of books back then, um, I was reading the books of entrepreneurs because um, 
a successful business has some really intelligent people who are able to spot solutions and opportunity and challenges. And um, so listening to their stories um, and how they hustled has inspired me today. It continues to, but it definitely inspired me at the early start of my career because it gave me that gumption to reach harder and try better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so like people that I would have admired or that I still do, um, for example, Sarah Blakey of Spanx and Reagan Moyer Jones mm. of Aiden and Anae. So from them, from their point of view, they've got a lot of content out there in the ether because uh, they've built billion dollar companies. Um, right. So the how to's and how to navigate challenges. And for example, with uh, Reagan, she also started in media. She worked for The Economist. So She's got a familiar lens to me on how to navigate those changes, which is what I kind of resonated with. But if I also look at businesses um, that I admire because they align to my values, there's uh, like Jen and Jeff Martin of Pipcorn. They achieved a Spark Tank investment, they're Brooklyn born, um, but they focus predominantly on natural and clean ingredient snacks. So that really resonates with me. Um, same with like Priscilla Sai of Coco Kind. So that's a clean ingredient and honest booty product, both American. But um, listening to them, following them on social media drives me quite a lot more than like listening to marketing uh, professionals, ironically. Mm. Yeah, that, that is so uh, unusual indeed. Like I see a lot of marketers out there mostly following, you know, other marketers. I think it's very interesting that you're looking for inspiration from entrepreneurs. It kind of makes sense, you know, it's about the, that grit, that ambition that you can get from, from following them. That is very interesting. I want to ask you, like, if, <laughs> let's say a time machine was invented and you had the opportunity to meet your past self, <laughs> what advice would you give yourself? Oh, uh, what advice would I give myself? Besides investing um, in, in uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? I, I don't know if I'd do anything different to what I've done because the mistakes that I had to make got me to where I was. I, I was made head of content when I was 29 years old. So I, I take, I, I'm glad that I made the mistakes that I did, but I think if I was able to give myself some advice, it would be to create campaigns and projects and to work and create good work for myself. I think um, as you go through your career, you realize that if you're doing it for other people, which essentially you think that you are, right? You, you create good work for your boss. You create good work for your clients. Um, but, but when you're doing it for other people uh, and you're expecting something from them, you kind of leave yourself open for disappointment. So instead, do good work for yourself uh, to make yourself proud. And that would probably be the best advice I'd give myself. Hmm. That's, that's a good one. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that throughout my career, I had a bunch of moments that seemed insignificant uh, at that time. But, you know, when you look back and you connect the dots, you realize that those events actually changed our lives. Um, did you have anything like that? Any random, seemingly insignificant event that changed your life in, in an instant? Did you have anything like that? Um, yeah, di different ones for different things, I guess. So, I mean, mm -hmm. going back to what we were talking about there about my unconventional entry into marketing, 
being yeah. because I got a tattoo. Um, that, <laughs> that became quite significant. You know, I did it as a self-expression. It was just body mm. art, but based on how the heavy stigma of society that came with that, certainly back 15 years ago, um, that judgment on my body and my persona created a drive for me to start creating content to change that, um, right. which then led to my entire career. But other things like um, having leaders believe in you. So mm-hmm. I, that one of the massive steps that I took from freelancing into a corporate environment working within marketing was somebody simply recognizing what I was capable of and saying, you know what, I know that you haven't done this in the corporate environment before, but I want to give you a chance. So in that moment, it didn't, it felt great, but I didn't realize it would lead to where I am today, you know? It's so interesting because, you know, you had this issue or concern about stigma in society around body art um, and you wanted to make a change. And it's interesting that it led you to marketing because it, it could have led you to different paths, right? Like politics or, <laughs> or you know, Great. nonprofit, NGO work. So many different paths, you know, this desire of changing minds could have led into, you know, could have transformed uh, you into different, different people. So I think that's, you know, it's very interesting that that, that was the one. Going back to the present, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the your day-to-day work uh productivity is a big topic for us here um here at planable and for me personally i'm a huge geek for productivity and organization that's extremely important for me and i noticed that you know for us marketers that's quite hard to achieve i guess for other professions as well but for marketers we have to juggle with so so many things uh, you know, multitasking is a thing in marketing. There's notifications, a lot of meetings, spreadsheets, reports, a lot of things that distract us. And I'm curious, you know, what is that one thing that you think stands between you and your most productive self, your ideal productivity? What's that, you know, thing that distracts you the most? Uh, it's probably myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say self-doubt and imposter syndrome have been the things that have slowed me down through my career. And still, look, you know, it's a process. So they still right. do today and you know, they get into to my head. So being able to overcome that um, in the sense of uh, not being afraid to speak up, not being afraid to share an idea in a, in a room full of people um, yep. or on a Zoom call these days. Um, has been the thing, but yeah, it's. I would say that the obstacle to my most productive self has been myself. Hmm. That's very, very interesting. Um, you gotta, you know, kind of change your own framework before yes. you look outwards. Um, and especially because your behavior is one of those things that you can control the most. <laughs> um, yeah. The only thing that you can control. So. Uh, I, I think it kind of makes sense to start, you know, in words and then focus on the other things that you can't really control, like the amount of meetings or notifications or emails or whatever. Uh, you got to start with yourself first. So that's smart. Uh, I want to, you know, in, in this podcast, we talk a lot about the good parts of being a marketer, but also the not so good parts of the marketing life. And I, I want to ask you, like, if you'd have to pick one low point of your career and one high point of your career like the proudest moment of your career highlight 
and one of the lowest ones, what would that be? Sure. Um, okay, so one of the highlights, being completely yes. genuine here, um, mm. I've reached a lot of my early career goals, you know, such as winning awards and being featured in magazines, yes. edge, all that stuff. Um, but as soon as they came, it, it was like a momentary, you know, burst of excitement and mm -hmm. pride, but very short lived. And soon after um, that, I, I would lose the drive for, for the things that were the mark of my success. You know, once you get there, you're like, oh. Um, and they didn't push me forward anymore. And I remember uh, an old boss of mine and, and certainly a mentor, uh, Simon Taylor. He was formerly the director of corporate affairs at Mondelez International, Australia, New Zealand. Um, I remember him saying to me very early in my career um, that when you reach a certain point, the, the money and the accolades don't matter as much. And it's more about what you can do for the people around you. So I think my proudest moments over the last few years have um genuinely be hearing when I've been able to help um, or when I've been able to do that even in a small way and look I'm not perfect um, I, I'm always learning myself and I'll never stop needing to learn and grow but you know as Maya Angelou said um, when you know better you do better so yeah I think my the highest points in my career that I thought would be the highest points have actually turned out not to be um, that's interesting and that says a lot about you know expectations versus you know, the actual reality. And I, exactly. I think there's a lot of people out there that, and I've been in that situation as well. Um, you know, when, when you apply for awards or for specific contests and, and you get it and, you know, there's an explosion of happiness, but it's, you know, it doesn't last. And you realize that the things that make you happy and they're gradual and almost, you know, it's not, you don't have that euphoria. Um, but it's really very gradual or you almost don't notice it until in time you look back at them and you realize that, yes, that's you know, the thing that makes me most proud of. Um, well, exactly. But it's not a moment. Yes. It's yeah. about purpose, isn't it, really? It all, mm -hmm. always comes down to purpose. And, you know, being in a magazine or winning an award is a nice thing, but there's no real yeah. purpose behind them. When I think that was another thing Simon said to me when I was kind of growing up in my career. Um, was that at the end of the day, you know, at the, at the end of the, our wonderful lives, um, are we going to wish we'd won more awards? <laughs> I don't think so. We're going to wish that we'd affected more change positively for other people, you know? Oh, that's such an awesome way to put it. Such a great way to put it, especially, you know, for our industry where we're, you know, quite obsessed yes. about awards, to be, to be honest. Yeah, it's the um, Wild West out here. It's all yes. about competing. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So I think that's such a refreshing point of view to hear. Um, and I thank you for sharing this one. I think more and more people need to hear this and think about yeah. this and potentially, hopefully, internalize it. Um, yeah. Well, we can thank Simon. For that. Yes. Thank you, Simon. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> <You're> Simon. <listening. laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And the low point. Tell us a little yes. bit about that one. Uh, lowest points in my career have mm. also been my greatest learning opportunities. So, um, yeah. for me, they've, again, similar to what I was saying earlier, they've generally been centered around my own mental limitations. So, you know, imposter syndrome or dealing with toxic behaviors in work. Um, and they're things you can't change. You can't change people, right? So you've just got to yeah. navigate it. And I think that for me, overcoming them has been a mixture of things, you know, leaning into what scares me. So for imposter syndrome, it's, 
I can't do this. Uh, I shouldn't be mm-hmm. here. Lean into it. Almost take a thrill out of what scares you because it's an opportunity for growth. And um, when it comes to you know difficult people and work, it's about setting boundaries. And these are all healthy aspects of just being human. Hmm. Yeah, that I, I I agree with you. And since you mentioned a bit earlier that um, you're not perfect, <laughs> that yeah. takes me to my next question. What were the habits or the skills that you had to struggle the most to develop in yourself? Yeah, um, numbers. I numbers. I was, yeah, I I hate math. I always hated it. Anything to do with math used to really intimidate me, and I'd be lying if I said uh, it didn't still to a certain degree and yeah. it wasn't my strong point in school I was much more mm-hmm. comfortable with language or art or history they were kind of where I excelled naturally and ironically in media it's all about numbers so I, I've yes. the careers to choose um, <laughs> but in in a different way you know for for example with media where I've where I've tried to lean in I've leaned into what I'm not good at I had to you got to learn it you got to get comfortable yeah. with it But where I have found that I'm okay with numbers is actually being able to look at data and analyze the situation, you know, so like spot the challenge, spot the opportunity and make a hypothesis of the base of that. Um, And that's been quite natural to me because you're making a story in data then and you're creating a solution, which has been a creative aspect of numbers, I guess, for me. So yeah, what I struggle with the most is numbers and what I also enjoy now the most is the numbers. Right, right. On the same theme of struggles and challenges, I know that you mentioned uh, earlier on that seeing the campaign from the inside is what drove you to switch from the brand world to, um, yeah. to, to the agency world, you know, seeing the nitty gritty of how a campaign is born and, and exit. So I'm curious, you know, if you can tell us uh, about the campaign that you'd like to get another spin at what went wrong and how would you fix it if you'd be able to use the same time machine that we built earlier on <laughs> yeah um do you know what i i think i would change all of them i'd be lying all of them it. yeah wow. i mean i'm a perfectionist so <laughs> even the ones that have won awards there's always room for improvement and a lot of our hmm. campaigns they run from say it could be four weeks to six months And you do the best that you can in the moment, but, you know, once you've learned from, you you know, you wouldn't be a good marketer if you were to to look at your post-campaign analysis and say, we couldn't have done that a little bit differently. But the thing is, you don't, you can't identify that until you've finished it, right? And that's why you get better with your next campaign. So yeah, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I I couldn't now, um, you know, in hindsight, go back and say, Oh, they were all great. I wouldn't change any of them because there was definitely, there was all, there's always room for improvement. Always. Um, I don't know. I I can't think of one in particular that I would change for that reason. I think that I've learned, I've grown, my team have grown and that there are new things that we could apply to all previous campaigns that we just couldn't have in the, in the moment. Mm -hmm. didn't Mm -hmm. know them then, you know, the benefit of the hindsight. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. I have one more question for you before we wrap up with our rapid fire session. And this one is a little bit controversial, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) The question is based on the fact that our industry has a lot, a lot of new trends every single day, you know, 
the jargon that you mentioned, the buzzwords, yeah. um, new popular things every day in marketing. And I want to ask you, what's one popular thing or trend or buzzword or myth or belief, anything you know, trending in marketing today, you think is massively overrated or is just annoying you? <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to piss off a lot of your listeners now, Yes, but... please. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I roll whenever I get people focusing on cost per clicks. It's always annoyed me because uh, it's short-termism, you know? Mm -hmm. And I do know that cost per click, um, it has a, a very good purpose in a very specific circumstance. Um, but I feel that overall, a focus on that is at the detriment to most campaigns, like at the detriment to most campaigns. So in regards to quality and long-term brand strategy, you've got to think above the cost per click. It's got, mm -hmm. there's a much bigger picture that you've got to think about. So when I hear cost per click being an objective, I just want to throw my laptop out the window. Yeah, you think it's superficial, like you need to go a bit exactly. deeper into the funnel, like put your And it can harm. Cost. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, really true, can true. harm your campaign, uh, focusing on cheap methods and cheap channels just to make a cheap campaign that really didn't have quality. Mm, from a brand perspective, you mean? Exactly right, yes. That makes a lot of sense. Good. So I have four quick questions uh, for you. Quick questions, quick okay. answers. And the first one is what's your, you know, personally, what's your favorite social media network? Where do you hang out the most? Uh, social media network, um, admittedly, probably Instagram. And I don't know if, well, maybe it is a social media network. Also, uh, Insight Timer. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like a meditation no. app. It's pretty mm. cool. So at the start of lockdown, um, myself and some fantastic ladies decided to uh, do a meditation group and um, we do a meditation every single day together um, wow. not not at the same time just in our own time <laughs> and then we regroup so we just say like what did we think of that meditation we're on our I think 150th one now and it's been amazing and that I is impressive I tried doing great. that at the beginning of the pandemic but I, <laughs> I couldn't but I think you know the fact the fact that you have a group I think that's you know that that support really helps you and also, you know, the accountability. 100%. 100%. I think that that's definitely, it's definitely been about accountability. And there's so many mm -hmm. different types of meditation, you know. So for me, some were just making me want to wriggle around on my seat because I was so irritated or bored. But there are some yeah. really good ones. And I remember a lot of my inspiring leaders that I listen to, but also that I've worked for. I remember quite a few of them throughout my career telling me that they start their day with meditation. Uh, which has always really intrigued me as a form of success, you know, whatever success means. But there's definitely something to take or leave behind in a moment of silence. So, um, you know, from somebody who never did meditation before this year, myself and the ladies are doing quite a good job. And I, I definitely think that that's been a benefit. So I would choose Instagram and Insight, Insight Timer as my most used this year. Yeah, well, that definitely made me uh, think about giving meditation a second chance. <laughs> um, what is your favorite app or tool uh, you use at work? Um, I'm still a traditionalist. I still use <laughs> recycled paper journals and I scribble everything down in writing and then end up having to put it back into a Word document. Um, <laughs> so my favorite tool is my journal um, and my pen. But um, I also 
admittedly, uh, if, if I really think about the things that I'm grateful for, obviously we've got mm -hmm. some great proprietary tools and work that help us analyze where our audiences are and all of that good stuff. But the ones that I appreciate the most are simple ones like a yeah. meeting planner, because I've got mm -hmm. clients that are global. So just an easy way to figure out what time is it there for them during yeah. a certain meeting in a, in a second is just brilliant. So yeah, oh, meeting God. planner is another great tool <laughs> yes time zones are yes. so so difficult um yes. yeah before using a tool uh, for that particularly i've been you know using google way too much for that <laughs> <laughs> so i i understand i i feel you uh what's the worst advice you've ever received i've never been told it but there has been Definitely going up in my career that there's, and I, I think a lot of your listeners will agree that they felt this at some point, there's, there's generally an air sometimes of like, don't talk until you're experienced enough or until you're senior mm. enough. And whilst it's never been actually vocalized, to me anyway, luckily, I know it has been to some friends, um, I would say that that was bad advice because... Um, there's many times where you're, you're surrounded by some wonderful, intelligent people, or they've got degrees coming out the wazoo, but you realize that it's all an empty like mouthpiece. You know, they, they, they haven't got a hell of a lot to say, and you've got a great idea you want to share. So whilst it wasn't bad advice, it was um, certainly a, a behavior that was kind of instilled on younger employees, mm -hmm. and it's something that I try not to do to my own. So no matter how junior you are, I'm going to ask for your opinion at the table um, because you might have a better idea than me and hopefully you do. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, if you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today, what else would you do? I would probably be an entrepreneur. I'm so inspired yes, by that. that makes sense. <laughs> I'm not um, even surprised. <laughs> um, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'll figure it out one day. Um, do you have a particular industry where the, you think you'd be an entrepreneur in? It would probably be around wellness. It would probably be around a passion point because it was passion points that got me to where I am today. So I'd probably identify a challenge I guess it's what I need to do again, identify a challenge for something that doesn't exist that I would like, and then yeah. go from there. Yeah, and then you'd probably have something to do with you know, music in your wellness business and definitely have a podcast, right? Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. I can learn from you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, Alison, I had a blast. Thank you yeah, so much. Same. Thank for you. For taking the time. Yeah, to share your story. I really, really enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, thanks again, you know, for taking the time and uh, I really, I really appreciated your genuine and, and very honest and very, very fun, uh, very fun story. Thanks. Thank you very much. And for everyone else listening in, thank you for joining. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget we have new ones every Wednesday. Subscribe to People's Marketing on your favorite podcast app and till next time.